This is Legislature's The Inside Story. Thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. I'm Tim Story, your host and the CEO of NCSL, the National Conference of State Legislatures. My guest is Nolan Bivens, president and CEO of the highly respected organization, Americans for the Arts. Nolan built an impressive career in the United States Army, attaining the rank of general and retiring from the military after 32 years of service to the nation. After retiring, Nolan wanted to devote his next professional chapter to helping veterans heal from PTSD. One approach kept coming up, the arts. He knew that arts-based therapy could have a major positive impact on veterans, their families, and their caregivers. He began consulting with the National Endowment for the Arts, leading an initiative to foster collaboration between the military, veterans, health providers, and arts agencies. That led to his current role as CEO for Americans for the Arts. We're going to learn how a chemistry major in college from rural South Carolina developed a passion for arts and public service that brought him to his current position, leading the nation's premier organization dedicated to guaranteeing that all Americans have access to the transformative power of the arts. CEO and president of Americans for the Arts, Nolan Bevan, I've really been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. So thank you for joining our podcast today. Thank you so very much also, because, uh, you know, there's a long relationship here that that we're stepping into. And as a, I can't say new anymore, but certainly newish CEO here, I know that I'm stepping into a relationship that's been long valued by this organization and, and certainly along with the NCSL. And I'm very proud to have that opportunity. I'm excited to have this conversation. And it's so important in, in the moments and times of what we're living now, but it's also important in terms of the value of what the arts has demonstrated through a very tough time of the nation. We know everything is state, everything is local. I truly understand the value of the state and how it plays because all 50 plus territories are different. That's the uniqueness of it also and the strength of this Really a pleasure. And, and you, you, you're right on target. I mean, it is we have a very diverse nation, which is reflected in the states and the territories. And, and of course, the legislatures, uh, they all look very much the same in many ways. And they all look very different, operate very differently. But at the end uh, of the proverbial day, we're all Americans. Right. So I love that that is you know part of the name of, of your organizations, Americans for the Arts. And um, so we're, we're going to talk about that. But I, I really am delighted. So I, I appreciate you, Nolan. appreciate what you're doing. And let me ask you this. I, I want to just hear more about you, your, your background. Where are you from and what do you think of as home home? I call the Carolinas home. I specifically grew up in the, in South Carolina, but that's a that's a nuanced story too because I went to school in South Carolina. I went to church in North Carolina, so go figure. I was one of those border towns there, but I think even at that early age of having to, to cross the borders, they say you begin to see uh, differences in terms of states even at an early age. So I started my uh, my life there. Uh, grew up there uh, all of my life. Uh, in grade school, high school, and I did, you know, my undergraduate work there at one of the universities in South Carolina, South Carolina State University. That's kind of the, the foundational location geography that I landed on. And when I was there in, in college, I studied, and this is going to really kind of say, wow, what's this in terms of the military? But while I was in college, I studied chemistry. I, I, my second area of study was in mathematics and with an idea that I'd go into to service somehow in the world of maybe medicine or care or something like that. Got a little detour on that for all the right reasons, I think. So 
What, what town in South Carolina? Because uh, most of my listeners that go, I, I drop it in just about every episode. I grew up in North Carolina. It's still, it is a big part of my uh, identity, I suppose. So I know most of those small towns around Charlotte. Where, where were you uh, in South Carolina? Mine was Chesterfield. Don, I grew up in Asheville, uh, outside of Asheville. And, and, you know, we would do these church uh, trips to Myrtle Beach, to Garden City. There was a church uh, camp there. And it felt like every year we'd drive five hours down Myrtle Beach and we'd come through Columbia and it would be 112 degrees. <laughs> you know, in my mind, that's my memory. So then you wind up, you have a, a you know, a, a long um, career in the military, uh, in the U.S. Army. Um, what took you from Chesterfield to the uh, United States Army? Yeah, I would I would say to, to for your listeners, it's like most of us when we graduate from college, we don't really have, I mean, graduate from high school, really don't kind of know what we're going to do. And so I went into college with the idea, I think, which was most resonating into me. I, I didn't know the exact place I'd end, but I knew inside of me there was this clock ticking that I'd serve others, right? My life would be spent trying to to, to give back. And so I largely, I, I liked chemistry and science in high school. And so I declared that as a little bit of a starting major. And after the first year, I wondered what foolish idea I had getting into some of the chemistry courses. But I stuck with it. And But I think the idea was to maybe serve in some area, like I said, of medicine. And But halfway through there, I had a sister behind me that was getting ready to go to school. And my mother was single parent. My father died of natural causes at an early age. And so I was trying to figure out how do I get off the payroll and make an opportunity for her to come in. And the ROTC professor said, hey, no, I got this great thing for you. You can come into the military and get commissioned and only have to spend three years. I said, I can stand on my head for three years. But I would also then get a stipend of resource, which I thought would help. And then my sister could come in. And so that's how I took the uh, the stamp, maybe to, to be in for three years or so. I didn't know for sure. But the carrots kept coming, like, well, we can help you with your med school if that's what you want to do. But really, the cool moment was I got in and I realized that it was a great place to serve, the great Americans, families that are serving our country. And it just clicked with that that high school connection of, of serving others. And three years led to seven years, seven years led to 10. And, and then carrots got being offered about this is the value of staying around. And 32 years later, uh, and I was very blessed and fortunate, I think. To, to realize the value of our nation through that experience and then hopefully give back at the same time. So that's how I got from Chesterfield to, to the military. And in the military, I served in every hemisphere of the world. I started uh, primarily up in the great state of Washington. And then I went to Asia. Asia came back to America, went to Europe, uh, spent time there, Middle East, obviously, those areas of, of the country. And then I kind of concluded in Latin Central South America. I was the chief of staff of U.S. Southern Command. Oh, gosh, I was going to ask you what your job was. I mean, obviously you wind up in command, you you wind up in the general ranks, and that's not a small job. In, 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 in an army, that has a lot of big jobs. That's a big one. Well, well, very grateful. I think, again, to the audience that we're speaking to, you know, legislation at the state level, legislation at the federal level, but opportunity that we have in this country, the opportunity that I saw in the ability is, is forged out of that great, good legislation that happens. Even in the state of South Carolina, I mean, a lot of things as I was going along, opportunities that were made available, uh, educational opportunities, whatever it may be, it still has that connection to all of our lives. And so now, at this level, understanding the power of, of that legislative capacity to change and build communities 
and strengthen those lives of everyone there is so important. I would, you know, if you, if you, this is 1963, if you'd kind of put the trajectory of my life, so to speak, and growing up in South Carolina, you might not have actually wrote the script that we just talked about. But I was very fortunate and blessed to be able to have that written. But it was written because of a lot of effort that, you know, legislation enabled over my, my, my lifetime and certainly those after as well. I hear you and understand what you're saying. But I also suspect there's a fair amount of hard work to be as successful as you were in that field. You know, you, you had to work really hard, right? I mean, and, and I, you know, I know enough about Chesterfield, South Carolina to know that's not the silver spoon part of, of America. You, do, you didn't exactly grow up around a lot of wealth and privilege, I'm just guessing. I don't want to make any assumptions, but... Uh... You're right. You're right. My, my mom's expression oftentimes when I was growing up, and she would always remind me, son, I'll give you a nickel. You got to turn it into a dime. And so that, that ethic of creating and knowing what, you know, what we can make and how we can make a difference. And I had the opportunity, I think, to to come out of high school at a, at a pretty reasonable time in, in, in the country's history. And that allowed me to step into other areas. But you're, you're exactly right. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you got to work and you got to understand the value of that work and that that allows you to serve others. But again, I always go back to the ethic that I think really was present with me is this idea of I want to, I want to give something to, to help the lives of others you know, be better. And so, uh, but it is hard work. I think the, the military gives us an opportunity to, to make that contribution. That's a lot of what military service women look for when they actually leave. Where can I go further serve? I follow this notion, you know, if, if service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And so this, this idea that, I'm, I'm serving so that if I have the capacity to lead, it's about serving. It's not about just being out front. And I, I got that early on because I was the oldest at the time. My father passed out, I was the oldest of four and some others uh, that were older than me. So I had to step into a little bit of a leadership aspect there and not make it all about me. As you can imagine, growing up, <laughs> you know, when you're young, you want to, you know, it's, it can be easily about me. But I. I saw a need and a service that I could even give right in my family to start with. And it's just kind of perpetuated. And I know being the CEO of Americans for the Arts now and really having the ability to be around a lot of service organizations that are still doing good really is invigorating every day. I think that we can see a lot of stuff around us. But when I see nonprofits and other organizations, many like yours as well, that's working to still make it better. That's inspiring. It's not just what my organization only is doing, but how we do it collectively. And a lot of what I think I can offer most at the state legislative level is to be that voice alongside of those in the states that are advocating for things that are important for their state. I learned that very, very profoundly. I just got out of the military and I was invited to go out to California and I was participating in some of the state legislative work for increasing the value of the arts to to veterans within the various state locations. And each state I went to, again, was a teaching moment because California was California, Kentucky was something, and state was that. But the common thread there was understanding the value of the state legislative process to affect and improve the lives of people. Clearly, I was talking about art, but it's in so many other areas. So you wind up just a few years ago uh, coming into this role. Um, there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, again, this is just, just engaging in stereotypes. Hey, what's this, 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 this successful Army officer wind up in this arts organization? And then also you, you throw in that this is a guy with a chemistry mathematics background, uh, not exactly the, you know, the classic arts, uh, as, as we think of in the sort of Greek classical terms. 
what led you to this gig and, and uh, what attracted you to it? You know, I, I, I'll try to give the short version. I, I would say that when I kind of started the, the art road here, I was um, I'd come back from Afghanistan and, and Iraq and served there. And when I was coming back, I was a deputy commanding general at Fort Hood, Texas. We were training up to go back. And I went in for a, a regular hearing test as a part of the physical process. And at the end of it, the young technologist asked me if she could ask me a question. And she began to, to tell me the kind of the following story. She said, oftentimes when she would be doing a hearing test for a lot of servicemen and women, uh, she'd get in the middle of it and she stopped getting responses from the sound booth. And she'd think it's a technical problem, so to speak. She'd look in this sound booth and what she would see in there oftentimes is young men and women crying and weeping. And so her point was, it, at first, it disturbed her in the sense of why. And she said, the reason that it's oftentimes happening is that quietness of the sound booth forces them to internalize a lot of the trauma and experiences they had, and they just had never dealt with it. You know, they came back home, they walked through the airports, everybody said, thank you for your service. They had the parades. They were very appreciated in many ways, uh, the opposite of what a lot of our Vietnam veterans experienced. And so I'm very appreciative and thankful that. But as she was telling that story, I realized as the as as deputy commander general, primary responsible for maneuver and training, that we possibly had young servicemen and women going back into multiple rotations of combat. While outside they looked physical, inside there was some still some stuff we needed to, to work with. And so I, I started looking for solutions, and not all of them were directly in my military kit bag. And so what I discovered was a lot of servicemen and women were taking advantage of the arts as a way to to express and write and 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 kind of deal with some of that trauma without having to disclose it publicly by going to, you know, the, the psych or the shrink, as most of them would say. And culturally, they did not want to be seen as, as weak or a weak leader. They wanted to go back. They didn't want to be seen as that. But that led to the bigger understanding that, you know, as a force, we needed to understand how to deal with that. And so later on then in, 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 in retiring, the National Endowment for the Arts wanted to look at how to bring creative therapy into the clinical environment of, of a lot of uh, our military installations. And that leads back to the states again, because the, the whole idea of that program was to make that connection around about 11 states across the country from Alaska down to Florida. They asked me to come in and be a, a bit of a, a consultant, pro bono, however you want to call it, to help understand how to make that connection with the military communities. The short story now is that that experience over a decade and a half really brought me into the infrastructure and understanding of the art and culture field as we, we talk about it. Because in that experience, I got to, to understand all of the local arts agency value to this organ, to this country as well. It's at that community level, that local level, where someone is doing something of art and artistic and creativity value that's changing and bringing our, you know, our country alive in a, in a whole way. And then you look at the state level organizations that support it. Now you can make that connection over to the state legislature again that, that, that are advocating for and also advancing the power of the arts. That's where the work is. I'm, we are a national service organization, but honestly, that is the, the emphasis of what we're trying to make sure everybody understands. It's that work from that grassroots level all the way up that allows us to have the constituent voice to share with legislatures about this is why funding this is important because it's a constituent aspect of it. This is the value you bring back to the community, whether it's educational, economic, social, or cultural from the arts perspective. But this is why it's important to have that grassroots connection there. And so through that experience, I got exposed to quite a, a, a bit of folks. And so when they, 
the ask was here to serve. I again, I'm a sucker for service, so uh, uh, that's that's how I kind of ended up. But it's been a truly amazing experience because, as I shared with you, it's now allowing me to see the rest of that ecosystem that makes the value of arts important. The state legislatures and the role that you are playing in your organization is a part of that ecosystem, and that's why we're excited to partner with you all. What was your biggest surprise? I mean, you must have walked in with some sense of, I, I understand the arts. What really, like, wait a minute. I didn't expect this when I, I started to understand this world, this this new world of connecting Americans and arts. That is a good question. And I'm going to par- parlay it over to my experience from the military side. I'll, I'll use this expression to kind of introduce the idea that Surprised, but also really glad to learn this notion of what you often talk about is that the arts are a national asset. And I use that corollary because when I came from the military, it's very easy for most Americans to understand how the, the military is a valued national asset. It's just what's to defend us. But as I got more and more into this, I, I truly believe the arts are a national asset. And, and to that point, every American for the arts point of what we try to share starts with this premise, right, is that the arts make our communities healthier and stronger. And so if that's the kind of starting point of everything we do, we've seen the tremendous value that our arts have made in our uh, our larger uh, culture in our country. You know, if you, if you think about the economic impact, right, I mean, huge multi-billion dollar uh, impact in our economy every Year. And when COVID happened, we saw really the impact of that, saving our stages, the stage operations from the people standing, doing the tickets, all of it. That's economic rejuvenation. But it's also a social impact. You know, the, the stuff we ran through in 2020 began to show how the arts could be powerful in keeping the social conscience of our country alive. The cultural aspect goes without saying. I mean, the culture across this country and all the different states is just amazing. I, I love that aspect of the job. I kind of feel... I'm getting spoiled because you see so much greatness of that. And then clearly the educational piece of it. I mean, without the arts, you know, in fact, as a, as a student of the science, I will tell you, I love the theater. Every every moment I got, I was over into the the theater looking at what was going on. And I was fascinated there because of the, the notion of seeing different leadership styles. And I think that was kind of my indication that I'd be in the military and didn't know it at that time. But the whole notion there is that I've seen that connection and anybody in my military experience, a lot of folks may not realize that when you when you go overseas or you're traveling quite a bit, a lot of the work that we do in military diplomacy as a part of it, it centers in arts and culture. You'll go to a Philharmonic Orchestra event. You'll go to some cultural festival. We use those as mediums to build relationships with other uh, services uh, around the country. And that, again, goes back to that. So the arts really are making a wider and deeper contribution and I think that leads me to, to say to your point about surprise, that yeah, I can say now very confidently that the arts are a national asset. And now as we come out of COVID from a health perspective, we see how it's contributed to everybody getting out of their COVID caves, as I often say. You know, it brought us back and it's coming back slowly. And I'm really grateful for state and federal legislatures that saw that and put the money there to help those things stay alive. Because as we come out of this now, it gives us a sense of reconnecting and again, it may seem small, but as a nation, the, the fabric of art that allows us to, to come together and do that is so, so important at, at this moment in history when you know, we're experiencing something that is a hundred year old kind of uh, a reality. So what, what, what happens next? Where do you go? What's your vision now for 
arts in the United States as well as the organization itself. As a nation, what we really need to do is kind of step back and kind of recognize just like science, technology, engineering, all these other components of what goes to make the, the country great. In a very desperate time of our country, it's not like you know some of the, the, the major wars and conflicts we've had, but we did see the ability of our, our arts and service and cultural sector to help us at a very critical time. I would hope that we would not lose that awareness. This is sort of like, to me, like a hundred-year-old kind of lesson. We know that now it, it is it is so impactful for us to consider the arts as a way to help us heal men and get out of some very difficult situation, but also to sustain us in a good quality, well-being way of life. I wouldn't want us to kind of lose that generic cultural reality that I think has been brought out of this. I think there's another aspect that, and it's in very kind of uh, legislative related, but I have really been able to see how from a bipartisan way, you know, the country has kind of come together. And I'd like to see that move really forward when it comes to the arts. You know, a lot of the legislative uh, successes we had in in getting the funding and the resources to help the artists and the uh, organizations that just like everybody else was suffering, we got that only because of bipartisan work, right? And, and it was a fundamental lesson to me that in this time, we were able to come together to see the value of that. And state legislatures did that really in, in, in a lot of great ways. And I think if we can keep that as well, I think it will be a, a great opportunity going forward. For the organization in terms of, of vision and strategy, I think the term that you will hear me, well, first of all, I think the vision is to continue to strengthen the power of the arts at the community level, because the value of the arts is truly at the community level. To do that, it's very critical that we do what I call equitable advocacy. So to me, the, the key driving way of, of what Americans for the Arts wants to do is to make sure we strengthen the value of the arts in our local communities, but we want to do that through an equitable advocacy. And that starts all the way from the federal all the way down to the local level. And core to that, foundation cornerstone of that is the engagement with our local arts agencies that are at that community level, making them a more viable part and component of that infrastructure at the community level that's changing, you know, the economic realities, the social, the cultural, and the educational. I keep coming back to that as well. And so we want to be focused to help those local organizations. And then as we do that, we keep at grassroots that help the state advocacy, that helps the state level and then we can kind of continue to do it at the at the federal level. And I don't want to forget the, you know, the territories as well, because that's another that's a vision, that's a visionary aspect of what I have because as an organization we need to continue to grow and, and expand in those equitably, because uh, that's a component of equity, right? If you're not looking at everybody's part of the of the nation, then you know that's that's not as equitable as it could be. But I think the the a key aspect of the future, this is kind of a little thought leadership idea, but mine is that when creativity is at the center of, of what we're talking about, whether it's art, whether it's science, whether it's even business, right? Creativity is that engine out of which all of those things really, really become better for us. The whole idea you heard about early on, people often talk about the whole endeavor of going to the moon, the moonshot idea, it unleashed creativity in so many sectors. I was thinking about the fact that the arts, creativity, Americans for, 
I mean, these are such giant concepts. Let's bring it down to a story because that's what people connect to. I mean, can you think, have you got any good examples of where you saw arts be transformative in someone's life, a soldier's life, something like that? You know what I'm saying? And what comes to mind when you when you think of the stories? I will tell you the story. The one that comes to mind as you asked the question was I was in Alaska as a part of that work I was doing with the National Endowment for the Arts. And we were looking and, and participating in one of the local arts agencies that was doing work in the community there. And they had a particular program that they were using veterans, for example, who had come back and they were part of the community. And they had a program there that they'd come in uh, and they'd give them an opportunity to learn how to to bend steel, right? Forging the high heat metallurgical uh, realities one of the veterans there was working in the lab and he and I struck up a conversation and I said, well, what makes this interesting to you? Why is this, why, why are you here? Like, you know, the question of why is it of value? And he looked at me and he said, you know, sir, um, I come out of my conflict experience. And a lot of times, you know, when I looked at my hands, because that's what we use mostly in our lives, he said, I, I began to have this feeling that my hands were tools of destruction. And, and he said, I knew I was part of an of a organization that was defending uh, democracy. And I, I get all of that. He said, but just at a personal level, I still have that connection. And he said, but when I come to this high heated metallurgical experience here and I come back and I bend something and I shape it into something, he said, then what I get to do and I look at my hands then is I see myself as having created something. And he said, that is very helpful for me in balancing that. You know, I can see my hands as tools to create. So I talked about that as an example of transformative, but I want to picture it to the future. I think we can be transformative even more as we go forward, because I, I, when I think of that, I think about Sandy Hook. I think about places where we've had significant experiences of trauma. And those kids who were in the first grade now are in the 12th grade graduating, going to college. And what we know about trauma, and I know this from my combat experience, is that Trauma is triggered at times of change, right? We're going from a familiar to an unfamiliar. And a lot of the young six-year-olds that experienced trauma, they went back to a home of, uh, and hugs and loves, unfortunately, for those who may have lost their lives. I, you know, my respect for that. But those who did survive, they, they, the families hugged them even tighter because they recognized the danger associated with them. But if they start going to college and they get into these new points of separation that may trigger trauma. So our communities need to be available to use art again, as well as the clinical, uh, to support that transition from for civilians in general. The military was my conduit into it, but I see now it much more broader because trauma is all over. So the second thing we know is that the next pandemic in our country will not be obesity. It's going to be loneliness. You know, we're living longer. That's the good news, but we're living alone. We're living longer alone. And so that loneliness now is, is a great avenue for art because people are getting second careers sometimes, learning how to write. It's, it's, it's changing that in terms of our lives. And so I think that same triggering for the opportunity towards the future. And so from a legislative perspective, we can continue to make that investment. And that's the way I like to think of it is that just like we're making investments in so many things, it has to be prioritized. I get that. I'm an old military guy. I know you don't ever have enough of a resource. So you prioritize. But in this is this is a fundamental area where I think it, it is a national asset that can help us be better and help us grow into the nation that, that we're still happening. Such terrific words and lessons. And this notion of creation, which 
anchored it back to with this fellow in Alaska, uh, you know, sort of creating something with the same hands that could do all kinds of uh, things that, that, that maybe we're not creating when we're destructive, which, again, understand all the background of that and what that's about. Trying to tie it back again to our legislative folks, be they the legislative staff, legislators, and how they are creating the future in many ways and thinking about how it extends beyond in this transformation aspect and maybe bringing some art into that, the actual day-to-day of legislatures because of its uh, transformative power. That's, that's what I'm getting at. And I, you know, you said the trauma and, and, and um, I have a friend who's a, a neuroscientist of, of some regard. And he says we're coming, we're, they're starting to understand that the pandemic was in many ways a, a, a mass trauma at the greatest scale. You referenced Sandy Hook. And, and of course, there are the traumas that we're familiar with because they make the headlines. But what you know, what we also know is that the 335 million Americans and the 8 billion people in the world, trauma is is, is much closer and seems more prevalent than, than certainly any of us have known in our lifetimes, except for people who have really been in these uh, situations like being in, on the front lines in, in Baghdad, Afghanistan, that kind of thing. What I'm getting at, the whole nation is going has been through a trauma, right? And this is a time where the arts can just really, you know, be elevated in a way that, that sort of brings us back to a new future. And Your words are the words of wisdom there, because it's the collective. And, and we're, that's why I really talk about community, because that's the common unity that we have. There's two words in community, right? The, the common unity that we have is within our communities. And I think to your point is that that's where we look around for those things that, that make us feel common with each other. And art was, is certainly one of those areas that we do that. And I think to the legislative aspect of it is they are creating, they are creating the future, right? I, I, I know sometimes, you know, you can, uh, when I was in the Pentagon, you can walk the hallways and in the day-to-day work, you can kind of think, oh, it's just mundane. But every time you could squeeze a little bit of resource to go over here to help this, you're also creating that future that, that we need. And we see the need of that so fundamentally. You know, it's, it might sound trite, but I think that we are so awash in trauma as a, certainly a country, really as a world now, that we don't even know it is trauma anymore, right? Because it's so common to us. And so that's where I think we need that same ingredient in our culture that is so present with us. That is, is the counterbalance to that, right? And and that's what, you know, art, whether it's a, a musical piece or whether it's uh, just sitting with a, a six-year-old grade kid and they're scratching something on a piece of paper, but for them, that's art because it's creating. It's causing them to be in a space away from the trauma, which is so important, I think, in what we do. And it's so natural and organic. That's one of the things that this, uh, the experience in the military taught me is that folks want to be kind of thoughtful about how they are healing they don't want to surrender this necessarily over to some, some clinical aspect only. They know the value of that, and I certainly compliment that. It's really critical. From a military perspective, young men want to kind of feel like they're in, in charge. Well, if you're 60, 70, 80 years old, you still want to feel like you're kind of in charge, like I can do this by my own choice and my own you know, effort. And that's still a part of what an American way. You know, We, we like to do that in our, in our own ways. Well, something we talk a lot about at NCSL and, and I on this podcast with folks, what brings us together? Uh, you know, there's so many forces arrayed, including the prevalence of smartphones and social medias and apps and all of this, this stuff. Uh, they're just putting us into boxes, putting us into our independent lanes and our echo chambers. And so we're always talking about bringing things together, common unity. And, and what I know is that it, it's still very prevalent, you know, but, but uh, we better... Be on guard about it because you can see it fraying and 
And so your message is, is, is as valuable as any I've heard uh, in this format. Um, so I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. What, what, a, what a joy to have this conversation with you, Nolan. I, 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 true pleasure. Thank, thank you. And again, to those great legislators out there, keep, keep toiling in, the, in what might seem to be the salt pits, but you're doing great work. And I'm, I value each and every one of you. And I'm thankful so much for what your organization does. And I'm excited about the continued partnership. Thank you so very much. I've been talking with Nolan Bivens, CEO of Americans for the Arts. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Legislatures, the Inside Story, brought to you by the National Conference of State Legislatures. You can check out all the podcasts from the National Conference of State Legislatures by searching for NCSL Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Tim Story, NCSL's CEO, hosts Legislatures, the Inside Story, where he focuses on leadership and legislatures. The Our American States podcast dives into some of the most challenging public policy issues facing legislators. On Across the Aisle, host Kelly Griffin tells stories of bipartisanship. Also check out our special series, Building Democracy, on the history of legislatures.